fish performance models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net. Little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. A community radio station is something very special that requires a great deal of generosity, hard work, and dedication. This is Matt Murphy, WERU's General Manager, saying thank you to everyone who gave, volunteered, and helped make last week's pledge drive a success. And to all of our new members, welcome to the family. Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at maineboats.com. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your host, Alan Sprague, and Mike Joyce, Alan's in absentia today, is up next. Good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month, and that brings around Boat Talk. Mike Joyce sitting here in this morning with uh, my friend Michael Ware from War, War from down to uh, Stonington, Maine, local boat builder. Our co-host, Alan Sprague, is off visiting the grandkids out west this morning. And if you're listening on the computer this morning, Alan, if we get in trouble, you throw a line, all right? You can uh, also listen at weru.org. And uh, we are broadcasting almost simulcasting at the same time. And uh, we also have the Boat Talk website, boattalk.org. This morning, again, uh, Alan's not here, so there will be no pun. <laughs> Let's just be right up front about that. There'll be nothing punny about this. Alan's the head punster. He's the punny one. Maybe we can get him to call in with a couple of puns. I like numbers, though, okay? <laughs> I like numbers. I'm I'm funny. I'm compulsive about some stuff. I like even numbers. I like to go clockwise around stuff. And today turns out to be 11, 12, 13, which has got a lot of people really turned on, apparently, okay? (laughs) And uh, if you're into lottery tickets, um, weddings are are overbooked today in a lot of places. Um, People possibly trying to conceive. Let's, Let's conceive this, okay? It's 11, 12, 13. At 2.15 and 16 seconds, it will be 11, 12, 13, 1,400 hours, 15 minutes and 16 seconds. Now, the idea is now at 17 seconds past, what do you got to hang on to? Because this, uh, you know, this uh, numerology thing doesn't come around all the time. It only happens early in the century. We got, it'll happen again next year. So, How so, long did it take you to figure that one out? I like numbers, man. And it's 11, 12, 13. So we got no pun, but we got the uh, got the number thing going this morning. Okay. And at 2.15, I want everybody to be right on edge. So we'll be ready. That's the story. So uh, we like to uh, 
go through the maritime news clippings for the month. And then uh, this morning I thought we might talk to my friend Noah. And we just did a uh, boat delivery recently, Bought a brought a um, Grand Banks 32 up from Deltaville, Virginia. And we took Noah to uh, kind of back us up. Noah grew up on a cattle ranch in northwestern Kansas. And while he has landed over to Little Cranberry Island and has been out on a boat before, it kind of blew his mind coming up the East Coast a little bit. So a little bit we'll hopefully talk to Noah about uh, his impressions uh, delivering boats. Everybody says they like to do it, you know. But, again, it can be kind of a mixed bag. But, again, uh, Michael War is in this morning. You run a little boatyard down to, I'm sorry about the pejorative there, but you you have your own boatyard, a one-man boatyard, let's put it that way. I do. It's one man now. It's been more, but one is easier to deal with. I like to say it keeps the people problems down to manageable, you know. Well, the boss is easy to get along with. Yeah. I think he's a really good guy personally, but that's a very subjective issue. But, but and you got a regular clientele and I do. a little bit of storage and enough to keep you busy. Yeah, and I like them and they like me, and that's a good arrangement too. So uh, things could be worse. It sounds like a fantasy, tell you the truth. <laughs> really? Well, it's taken a long time to get that to get to that place but um but yeah you know good customers are real gems and uh and i happen to have uh, i happen to have a couple few of those and and i really appreciate them and i try to make them appreciate me so yeah it's a it's a mutual situation that we can live with speaking of the fantasy michael here we are on boat talk this morning and we do this because we like it we're we're uh, the boat talk question what messed you up about boats when you were a kid you know and and uh, you can take that for a lifetime now down to uh my friends at morris yacht they have a little saying down there living the dream they say and you know it can be a good day or a bad day living the dream and uh so here's the thing you're living the dream you're living the fantasy you got your your uh, beautiful little boatyard down there your great little clientele we're here on the radio i'm thinking the thing we ought to be, I've been thinking this for a little while, reality television. <laughs> okay? You got the duck guys in Louisiana. You got the fishing guys up in last. I mean, you know, I think down East Maine, possibly ripe for some reality television. The romance of boat building. Among other, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, among other facets. That was a joke with a group of us many years ago, the romance of boat building. Oh, yes. Like I say, uh, it's kind of a uh, uh, two-sided joke, no doubt about it. But, uh, yeah, reality television, that's what I've been thinking about lately. How can I cash in on my life and and uh, what it will be like when I become a bigger media star, you know? Well, I think, you know, I don't want to mention any names, but certainly people with who seem remarkably devoid of talent to me have managed to make millions of dollars in reality. That's one reason I think I can do it, and I ain't shy. So, you know, just saying, but uh, don't well, be giving up like the radio thing because of the anonymity of it. So I, I think we should pursue this. Yeah, reality yeah. television, I'm telling you, it doesn't seem to be doing in down East Maine. Everybody else is making big bucks on it, okay? <laughs> Let alone the Real Housewives of Down East. Oh, my God. Let's not even go. Well, I don't think we don't want to go. We, no, we don't want to go there. There's going to be more trailers than in some That's, other uh, houses. But anyway. So, in the news, I noticed that the state is interested in the elver fishery, which is little glass eels are uh, hatched in the Sargasso Sea, and they make their way up the East Coast, and they go in all the little freshwater inlets, the whole length of the East Coast. 
and uh, then they go up and uh, become big eels in the lakes and stuff. We used to catch them when we'd leave a uh, hook on the bottom too long, you know, and uh, didn't didn't ever eat the eels or anything. Just uh, they were kind of a bad thing to have on your hook. But I've eaten them. Yeah, they're a delicacy in the east. And and uh, what happens here is in South Carolina and Maine are the only two places on the east coast that have an elver fishery. When these uh, little wigglers come ashore in the springtime up our freshwater uh, streams, they get trapped. And last year, a pound of those things was selling for about 2000 bucks. And it's a cash fishery that happens a lot in the middle of the night on the tide and stuff. And uh, so you've got buyers running around. For instance, uh, the first night of the fishery last year in Ellsworth, I believe, a half a million dollars of cash. Half a million dollars of cash changed hands that evening in Ellsworth, over that little sp- spot in the river there. That'll get the government interested. Oh, yes, it has. So uh, <laughs> the uh, idea of uh, poaching, also uh, resource depletiate, uh, depletion, you know, uh, unintended consequences, catching too many of those things. Um, but the uh, state of Maine is going to have a series of meetings now what they're proposing. There'll be one in Ellsworth coming up, and I forget what the other one is. Sorry for the lack of details, but we do have the outline. They want to issue uh, electronic uh, cards, e-cards, to elver fishermen and buyers and have the whole thing of all them little wigglers be tracked electronically to try to clamp down on fraud, um, poaching, and well, the mishandling of all that money. Kind of interesting. It is. Yeah. Uh, I, actually, one of the things I've found fascinating about this fishery is that it, it, it begs the question how it can be sustainable in the long run. You're catching these things when they're barely... They're barely born, you know, never mind had a chance to reproduce. It, it's an interesting question. It's a numbers game, of course. Uh, a lot of this uh, uh, genetic reproduction thing uh, is pure numbers, and, and they have to leave uh, clear channels in the middle of the stream, for instance. There are passage uh, requirements and stuff. So, yes, it, it remains to be seen how that will affect uh, the ecology of the little critters that we're making so much money on. Is that right? The nets have to be within so many feet Oh, you of the can't banks? block off the whole stream, no. Uh-huh, uh, right. Not at all, yeah. And uh, they have to be allowed a certain free passage. Uh, also interesting at the present time is uh, uh, the lobster fishery. There's two little stories right there. Linda Bean has a processing plant down in Tenants Harbor. She's trying to uh, up the marketing potential uh, and the sustainability of Maine lobster. Uh, the PETA people, uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals, went into the plant down to Tenants Harbor, I guess, with a secret undercover video camera and uh, have film that alleges uh, cruelty to lobsters. And uh, while that's all in the hopper, uh, the plant is receiving anonymous threats that the FBI is looking into, and they won't detail the threats, but uh, apparently, uh, you know, uh, we're going to have to worry about swatting mosquitoes someday. Well, I think... we. Peter has already shown us, I, I believe, that the president was um, reprimanded by Peter for killing a fly on air. Really? Last year. Oh, absolutely. That's I figure true. the fly and the mosquito attacked me. The lobster and the cow are kind of <laughs> questionable. I want to eat them. I, you know, I don't eat cows, but um, yeah, I like yeah. the lobster. So, I, I mean, you know, it's a laudable Treating eth- 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 treating animals ethically is a laudable cause, but I think you can go a little overboard. If we, it's like the elvers. If we don't maintain the ecology, our place in the ecology of the food chain here, and eat who we're supposed to eat, how we're supposed to eat them, we could have unintended consequences once again. Well, we could. Yeah, you never know. They might go the way of the urchins. Yeah. 
Here's another thing about the lobster fishery. This is from an editorial in the Bangor Daily News by uh, Philip Conkling, who's head of the uh, oh, uh, he's head of the Working Waterfront in the Island Journal. this summer, lobstermen in Penobscot Bay have been reporting finding such warm water species as triggerfish, common in North Carolina, when their trips come to the when their traps come to the surface. Several lobstermen have recently found. Are you ready for this? Seahorses in their traps. Scientists have also reported finding tropical species such as filefish and the Caribbean-based snowy grouper during sampling expeditions. David Cousins, head of the Maine Lobstermen's Association, says that it has been quote a weird year. Water temperatures have stayed at 58 or 59 from July right through October, and it's been 53, 54 on the bottom at 170 feet, but not like last year when it was 65 on the surface and we were having problems with shell disease. So uh, the point being the water is changing. It's a worrisome business, I think. And uh, I, I, I have to say of all the political issues out there, the one thing that I don't understand um, is the... The, the apparent dichotomy between the, the the sides of the political aisle over this problem of climate change and the warming water and the acidification because there's one thing we all ought to be able to agree on is that we need to pay attention to this. I mean, state of Maine is lobster fishery is just one very, very valuable resource and um, it would be an economic disaster of un unprecedented proportions if the lobster fishery failed up here and uh, water warming has got to we know already the problems we've had further south massachusetts connecticut new york with shell disease and other problems predators and and uh, yeah i i I think that um, everybody should be able to get together on this issue and work towards a solution if there is one my um, perspective of uh, delivering boats in 30 years uh all the traps to the southern have disappeared, right. all except for a handful of them. You see occasionally going across a Block Island Sound or something. You, you know, there's a couple of them, uh, buzzards. Uh, they just ain't there anymore. Right, they're and, all gone. Uh, there used to be a bunch of them, and now they're not there anymore, which arguably is good for me in the night. It used to freak me out going by them things in the night, but um, they're not there anymore. So, And the water is changing. That would be the... Little little thing we want to impart this morning. I've I've noticed it just in thirty years, and and so people can deny that politically if they like. But people who make plans, like the Defense Department and uh, people with long term uh, interests, are like I say making plans. Yeah, it seems to be kind of a fact, no matter uh, who you want to blame it on. A couple of good movies out there right now. One of them starring Tom Hanks, uh, Captain Phillips. Uh, Captain Phillips was a relief captain on the Maersk, Alabama, a container ship uh, over by Somalia, got uh, boarded by pirates, and uh, he ended up in the life raft and saved by Navy SEALs who shot the fellows right next to him. And uh, Tom Hanks gets great reviews in this movie here. He comes aboard as a uh, no-nonsense skipper by the book, and uh, we're going to do a lot of drills and stuff because he doesn't know the men on the ship. They don't know him. He's a very professional fellow, and uh, apparently he killed it on that movie, Captain Phillips. I'm looking forward to that out one currently, myself. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that uh, is getting uh, good reviews right now is a brand-new Robert Redford movie called All is Lost. And Robert Redford... The story is set up with no backstory. We just uh, we got Robert Redford. He's uh, on his boat in the Indian Ocean, a 39-foot sailboat, and it hits something in the night and starts to sink. And Robert Redford does the whole movie with barely a, uh, a curse, 
let alone any dialogue. And the director says, we didn't really bond on this movie. I kept him wet and pretty uncomfortable for the whole shoot. And uh, apparently Redford kills this actor-wise, um, trying to save his life and his boat there. He ends up in the life raft, apparently. All is lost. Now, is this one fiction or based on fact? Uh, well, it is, I guess, a fictional story, but brings to mind our friend Steve Callahan. Well, in- indeed. Yeah, 76 Days in Life Raft. The boat is uh, called Adrift. The book is called Adrift. Now, Steve just gave a great showing of the movie Life of Pi at the Grand in Ellsworth about two weeks ago. And uh, Steve was the maritime safety survival consultant. He shows up in the book Life of Pi. So Ang Lee, the famous director, uh, Academy Award winner, uh, Brokeback Mountain, among other things, uh, contacted Steve because he's, he's referred to in the book. Ang came over to Northeast Harbor. Steve took him sailing, kind of blew him away a little bit, and they got to be buddies. And after the movie, uh, The Life of Pi, Steve gave a wonderful presentation about the making of the movie and how he did his job mm-hmm. and assembled the props. And uh, It was a great film. I oh, know. it was a great film. And, uh, yeah, won awards. And uh, uh, Steve's uh, part in it was, was uh, pretty interesting because... He's the survival consultant, and and for this kid, he can only have things that you find in the in the in the uh, boat that he's on to work with. Right. So if you're gonna make something of a piece of wood, where are you gonna get it? It's gonna come from the boat or an oar. Apparently, they had one guy there. All he did was oars <laughs> in the prop department. Okay, the hundreds of oars, and they all have to be exactly the same. Okay, uh, continuity and all that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Steve Callahan has already lived that. He was uh, sailing his homemade 21 foot. Uh, boat crossed back from the Azores, headed to the Caribbean, bump in the middle of the night, hit shipping container or something, boat sank out from under him, and 76 days on a life raft, yes. That's a long yeah. time. And Steve was a remarkably high-end survivor. He didn't just survive, he kind of thrived. He made water, he uh, found out how to fish, and he navigated. He actually kept track of his position as he drifted across the ocean. Uh, very high-end survivor. But uh, the lesson is that the other people die. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Yeah, we are doing boat talk this morning, and we're just rattling away. We're getting Noah on the phone in a little bit, but uh, we got no answer there at the present time. So we'll rattle away for a, another little bit here. Um, Maine Maritime just won their bond issue. They're going to uh, put up a big new building, and they also want a grant um, for a uh, diesel emissions lab. And they are one of uh, thirty-three other. American institutions that won this grant. They're going to uh, try to study how to uh, make better, cleaner, more efficient diesel fuels. And Maine Maritime Academy is somebody that, um, you know, we've talked to him a little bit in the past. we got to get the president up here and brag the place up pretty hard. Um, I take care of a few boats down to Castine. And you just got to like the vibe down there. Uh, Maine Maritime Academy is a very purposeful place. It is, and I think that's one place where... You know, there's a real future as far as um, shipping issues are thriving right now, and and uh, there are good jobs out there, and um, it's a it's a place that's brought a lot of good things. Um, May it, it puts Maine on the map in a very in a very positive and important way. I think it's class institution. Yeah, you wouldn't around. call it a party school down Castine. Nobody no. gets to Castine accidentally too much. But Hopefully they get a pur- little partying. But it, yeah, uh, it's very purposeful though because everybody comes out of there has basically got a job waiting for them. 
and not all going to sea, as they say. Uh, you know, you look at any power plant up and down the east coast of America, it's got many maritime people in it. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, the energy industry, and and uh, really, uh, again, it's got a nice vibe down there. Mm. Hopefully, we'll get the President William Beardsley over here in the future sometime. What else we got going here? Uh, well, I did a little... I'm a wooden sailboat guy, and I get a little bit of the year has been a mixed bag for lovers of classic sailboats. I think the worst piece of news is that the fabled staysail schooner Nina, Starling Burgess design 59-footer, that um, for those that know, um, this is Nina, she's a legendary vessel, but for those that don't, she was built to compete in the first ever transatlantic race from New York to Barcelona, Spain, which she won. And uh, then she was sailed by her owner, Paul Hammond, a very successful Wall Street banker. Uh, She was sailed to Britain and competed in the Fastnet race, which she won. And um, Hammond didn't keep her very long. She went on to... uh, to ownership by a man named De Courcy Fales, who was the Commodore of the New York Yacht Club for many, many years. And he won about everything going with her, including the Newport to Bermuda race. But she has been owned for some years now by an American doctor, and she's being sailed around the world uh, with his family. And tragically, a couple of months ago, um, she went missing off New Zealand uh, in a storm. They did call in and ask from a weather man, um, a guy who guides yachts around weather systems for some advice, and um, which he gave, but she hasn't been heard of. The New Zealand uh, Coast Guard and Navy launched a search that covered actually three times the area of New Zealand without finding anything. So that's a huge loss for um, the wooden boat world and for the seven people that um, were aboard, and it's a very unfortunate thing for the family because there is no there's no they, they, hey. they haven't found anything they haven't found any wreckage they haven't found a, a life raft they there was nothing from the epurb presumed lost at sea that's presumed an old lost. sad story it is yeah. so uh, on the positive side of things the famous sparkman stevens or Olin stevens design y'all um dorade which is a 1930s boat that, that also has won the Fastnet race, and it won the Transpac, I think back in 1936, won the Transpac this year from the West Coast to, to Hawaii, over 3,000 miles against all the modern vessels that they threw at her in competition. This boat won the, won the race outright, which is a totally phenomenal. It's too, it's too bad that Olin Stevens is gone and didn't get to see that. It's just a simple word. The word is classic, okay? It, and classic is classic. It, and you can't hardly improve on classic sometimes. Well, uh, hydrodynamically, classic, classic. They, so. they were great. They be, she became great for a real reason. Yeah. And, uh, and the other, the last uh, boat that really has made the news is the, uh, the 100-year-old pilot cutter Jolie Breeze, who won the First fat, fast net race in 1925. She competed this year, 336 entrants in the fast net race, which, for those who don't know, goes from the southwest tip of England over to the southeast tip of, uh, of Ireland and around the famous fast net rock. Usually a very rough, challenging race, but uh, Jolie Breeze didn't win, but she beat a lot of great boats on handicap, including 100-foot Maxi canting keel race boat leopard. Yeah, I mean, just stay, absolute state of the art. Uh, yeah. uh, so great boat and great news. Cool. And the other thing, one more thing, is that for those of us who wonder what 
the 1% are doing. Uh, there's a new boat, Ed Dubois built boat being built in Europe right now. This is a sloop, so single masted vessel, 331 feet long on deck with a 410 foot mast. Ain't gonna be able to go anywhere. And uh, so, so for those who've ever been across the Deer Isle Bridge, if you stop your car on the top of the bridge and this boat happened to sail up to the edge of the bridge, there'd be about 325 feet of mast above the roadbed. Like I say, and, and <laughs> I guess by draft she couldn't fit under anyway, so, you know. Well, she draws, she's a centerboard boat, and she is going to draw... Let's see, 13 feet with the board up and 52 feet with the board down. Good Lord. All right. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what I'm going to do with my fortune. I'm, I'm uh, of course, because it's 11, 12, 13, and at uh, 2, 15, 16 uh, this afternoon, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. You are. You're win, going for win it, the aren't bucks, And that's what I'm going to spend it on. I, I'll, be poor <laughs> by the, I'll be poor by the end of the day. We are doing Botox this morning, and, and we're hoping to talk to my friend uh, Noah this morning. And, and Noah, are you standing by on the phone there? Yeah. Good. Noah, how are you this morning? Uh, working down in Northeast Harbor, uh, painting on a mansion, ain't you? Yes, sir. Yeah, nice work if you can get it. Noah, you grew up on a ranch in uh, northwestern Kansas. You're, you're kind of actually more of a cowboy than a sailor, aren't you? Yeah. How did you get over to Little Cranberry Island? I've got an uncle who uh, lives out on the island. He asked me if I wanted to come out. Uh, worked at a restaurant, maybe try lobstering a little bit. And uh, I said, I've been on Kansas for about 27 years. Let's take an adventure. And it to me. needless to say, Little Cranberry Island made a positive impression upon you. Little slice of heaven, my friend. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. You uh, made friends with a young lady who's uh, related to a captain friend of mine, and you ended up back in uh, Captain Edgar and I up on a delivery. We brought a uh, uh, Grand Banks 32 up from Deltaville, Virginia, back to Bass Harbor, Maine, uh, middle of October, and uh, we took you along for a third man. We flew from uh, Bar Harbor down to Richmond, Virginia, and then uh, took off in a rental car in the middle of the night, tried to find the boat, and... Uh, Set out the next morning. Now you had never been on a. Uh, You've been out out uh, lobstering and and out fishing out to Mount Desert Rock and stuff, but never been on a five day round the clock boat trip before. That's pretty safe to say. Yeah, I did not know what to expect. No, and I didn't realize it at first, but um, that first day you might have had a couple of second thoughts. Well, I mean, a couple of panic attacks is what <laughs> you could call it. Actually, it was. For, for a little bit there, you know, I'd be, like, looking at the shore on the back of the boat. I'd be like, I wonder if I could just swim to that and take a bus home instead of uh, <laughs> <laughs> instead of instead of staying on this the whole time. But, you know, you just got to breathe a little bit and realize that it's not actually a prison you're on. It's a boat, and we're going somewhere, and you just got to take it all in. But, yeah, uh, quite the experience. Well, that's why I wanted to, to mention that. That is a concept that I've uh, had for years. Uh, you can be a prisoner of a boat. And oh, yeah. when you're on a boat trip, sometimes you're on, You're either the merry pranksters on the bus or off the bus, on the boat, okay? Uh, you're a prisoner of the boat sometimes. So like you say, but we get her going. And our route is we're going up the pretty much the full length of the uh, Chesapeake Bay, across the uh, Chesapeake and Delaware Canal in the middle of the night, down the Delaware Bay, through the Cape May Canal, up uh, the Jersey Shore, uh, through downtown New York in the middle of the night, 
um, up the uh, Long Island Sound, uh, across Block Island Sound, Buzzards Bay, Cape Cod Canal, and then uh, across uh, back to Maine here. Um, we did that for five solid days, three fuel stops, and again, uh, pretty much around the clock running. Um, got to see some interesting things, Noah. Oh, yeah, I got to see everything. It was an all-included uh, trip there, you know. So I got to see New York at night, went by Atlantic City during the day, beautiful sunset. Uh, I even got to see a whale, you know. Got him a finback whale coming into, uh, uh, we're coming around past Richmond Island, heading into Portland for fuel, yeah. So what was your first big surprise, Noah? This is the other Mike. Uh, first big surprise on the boat, well... I don't. I didn't really uh, expect to be driving the boat at all. You know, I'm completely inexperienced. And then they said, you know, well, it's your turn to go for, you know, 10 hours at a time. But, all, I mean, it's like all you have to do is really know, uh, know how to use the instruments on the boat. And, of course, you know, I had no idea how to, how to do that. But they said, you know, Edgar and Mike set me up. There's some good teachers there. And, uh they told me what to do, and uh, I I found myself surprised running the boat for you know eight hours at a time. With uh, you know they got to get their rest if we're going to go twenty four hours straight. So I took over and uh, just put on some tunes, and it worked out pretty nice. One thing we like to uh, bring up on boat talk all the time is experience is one thing you can't you can't cheat. You gotta you gotta earn it honestly now. You uh, need to uh, get experience sometimes by doubt, you know. So here we are. We'll find you an open piece of water, you know. And uh, Edgar and I will both nap out. I'm kind of just closing my eyes and resting. And you're driving the boat. And uncertainty, I guess, is the word, uh, crops up pretty quick, doesn't it? How does it happen? Uh, When I see a tugboat. (laughs) Any other vessel coming, right? Anything, anything yeah. in the horizon, it's a, it's a terror. And, uh, you know, the um, way that you navigate up the east coast of America is done by buoys and, and charts and stuff. Now, there are rules of the road. There are sides of the road, just like the highway. You kind of belong on the, uh, on the left-hand side. Uh, on the, I'm sorry, the right-hand side, and, and the guy coming at you should be over to your left. Um, but it's also an area without lines on the road and, and real roads. Anybody can come at you from any direction. There is no roads. Yeah. So, again, it's it's a kind of a dynamic environment. And so you'll be you'll be uh, sitting there and, and uh, see a vessel coming, but you don't want to wake us up. So what's your thought process then? Uh, I kind of say, uh, F it, and I wake you up. <laughs> You did a. The terror slowly takes a hold, and I—that's I, all I can do. Yeah, but you would, uh, like I say, try to put that off as long as possible. And and again, you're turning over all these things in your mind. What's happening? What's going to happen? Uh, what should I do? And and again, it's uh, a pretty foreign environment out there. Yeah, but you're right. I really, I did, I did feel bad about waking the uh, captain or you up, but uh, with my experience, I I made a judgment call there. No, uh, again, you you uh, never were outside the, uh, the the bubble at all. But I'm just kind of pointing out, like I say, that it's a it's a foreign environment, and it's all about problem solving. Now we have to solve the problem of navigation, and missing all those rocks and other vessels. But we also have issues with the boat. The toilet isn't right. Uh, 
the fuel tanks aren't right. The uh, fuel system is uh, all crudded up bad and had to replace the uh, fuel filters on a regular basis and stuff like that. Standard delivery, then. All the uh, propane blew right away uh, out some uh, broken, you know. Living off chips. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> heating soup on the engine, and uh, we actually uh, steamed some asparagus on the uh, manifold. Lovely. Turned out quite nice. So yeah. were you steering by compass, Noah, at all, or were you looking at electronic instruments? Uh, we had uh, GPS, a couple of GPS uh, apps, like on Edgar's phone and on, like, the iPod. I couldn't believe, you know, I was able to, like, Facebook out there, and I couldn't see any land, you know? It was, it's, it's pretty strange to be able to do that kind of stuff when you're out in the middle of nowhere. But, yeah, I mean, all you do is look at the way the arrow is pointing and go straight ahead. My first, uh, my first overnight delivery was well a little over forty years ago, and and uh, <clears throat> I was a complete neophyte. I had sailed before, but but back in my home country of Wales, out in the Bristol Channel, and only in the day. And so there I was going up Massachusetts Bay, and I, like you, I got stuck on watch, and and I had to steer. And that was before the days of any electronic. We we had a VHF radio, but nothing else. And so I'm steering a compass course, and the hardest thing to get used to for me was uh, most people do get this you steer one way thinking you're going to bring the compass back to your course and you you keep going the wrong way yeah and uh that was that was the especially when you start to get tired and you're gazing s- trying to s- stare at that compass so hard and uh and the other thing was the cold did you did, did you were you surprised with how cold it got at night uh, yeah, we solved that pretty quick, though. Uh, just went ahead and bought a uh, little propane heater. Uh-huh. We did. Oh, you could, could you steered from inside though? Yeah, uh, I was yeah. sitting in an open cockpit in a no thirty-six foot gaff rig schooner with no protection at all. No oh. reason to go outside in that boat. And uh, <laughs> I did. Uh, here's the problem with that: we passed some fellows coming out of the Cape Cod Canal at about uh, I don't know two o'clock in the morning when we were entering it, and they were in a sailboat and uh, they clearly on a boat delivery. And I looked at those boys out in the cold there, and I says, Ah, we're in. But they had a better view than we did. Uh, yeah. Being behind the glass, especially running through New York City in the middle of the night, I missed a tugboat in between two bridges. I didn't even see it, mm-hmm. um, and I used that opportunity in between the two bridges when I had no navigation problems. I just got to be in the middle of this bridge here. I flipped on the cabin lights and was going to try to do something with some hot water and oatmeal real quick. I put it on autopilot. Okay, we had a really weak autopilot. The autopilot yawed when the boat yawed. The tugboat, which I didn't appreciate, I saw him on the radar, but I didn't. Appre- I didn't appreciate what it was. Um, he had to honk at me. Oh know, dear! When my when my boat yawed at him, I you know never came anywhere close to him. But but again, middle of the night in the dark and surrounded by uh, all the lights in New York City. New York's you know. a scary place. Oh, it's. Uh, we seem to go through there in the middle of the night. Quite uh, seems to be mostly in the middle of the night. We go through there. And, of course, you're surrounded by lights. The other thing that freaked me out was um, we're going north, and you got the East Side Parkway, I think it is, on the side of the river. you got cars going 60 miles an hour, basically right up over the water, right next to you. And I had a couple of cabs come behind, from behind me really fast with, with uh, the vertical billboards on the uh, roof, oh, yeah. fore and aft. And that white light coming up on my peripheral vision scared the crap out of me a couple of times. You know, and again, it's uh, interesting little navigation. 
You ever been uh, through New York City much at all before, Noah? I've been there once when I was really little, and uh, you know, I I just remember looking up and being in awe. But going through, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge and going under it, and just being next to the city. I mean, really, this trip made me feel, you know, like man, I'm pretty small. You know, there's a lot of places and uh, things I can do. Pretty pretty good eye opener. That was the other question. Made you feel a little bit different when you got back. Oh yeah, completely. Completely. I'll never look, you know, if somebody tells me they're going on a boat delivery, I'll, I just kind of shrugged it off. Now I'm going to be like, all right, well, good luck. <laughs> uh, be careful, son. We might want to take you again. You never know. You mean uh, you, you haven't got your topsiders ready to go for the next one? Oh, for me? Yeah. Oh, uh, I said once in a lifetime experience. One Maybe more. I'll go again. Who knows? Got one more little uh, detail about this uh, boat delivery, which is kind of problematical in that um, the boat did not have a life raft. It did not have a dinghy, and we were informed that there were three life jackets, but I never found them, and I was everywhere on that boat. Um, we made that trip. Now, if we had ended up uh, with life jackets, we would have been in pretty bad shape anyway. We went by Gloucester, Massachusetts, uh, middle of the night on uh, Wednesday, I guess it was, and on Friday... Uh, two fellows from Maine went down to Gloucester and picked up a boat, that, a fishing boat that was being repaired at a shipyard in Gloucester. Ah, uh, yes, I, I read this. Took back off, the boat sank not too far off in the middle of the night. Um, right. They were delivering the boat back to Maine. The boat sank. They put on immersion suits, and uh, the boy died, I think. The father-in-law the fa died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, one of them died. Yeah, the younger And again, died we'd there. just been through that patch of water uh, two nights before that without a life jacket, an emergency suit, or a life Jet. Good thing the Coast Guard didn't get you. Well, you know, uh, and again, that's a boat that was sold and, and is going to be uh, rebuilt and stuff. It didn't have knives, forks. They would have arrived them. Yeah, it was pretty 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 bare boat. And uh, it had a uh, GPS machine, but no charts, no uh, chips for the charts. So we were navigating by iPhone and iPad. And the most critical thing is to keep them machines charged up. <laughs> So it was quite an eye-opener, and Noah brought his computer. We watched Django Unchained run up past uh, Atlantic City in the night. Ooh, and, uh, quite a film, yeah. Yeah, again, uh, and tweeted, uh, no, didn't tweet people, uh, we see a whale. And uh, so Noah puts that on Facebook, and in about two minutes, you know how many people love that whale? That's never really done Amazing. That. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, things is changing likes a little bit. In a minute. 100 likes in a minute. Things, wow. is, things is, the paradigm is changing. Noah, we're glad to have you, and it was good to talk to you this morning. You're going to have to get back to work there. All right, can I give a shout-out really quick? Oh, of course you can. All right, Edgar Blank. What's up, boss? Margaret Houghton. How you doing? Oliver Blank, you're my boy. Thank you very much. All right. Hope you're working inside, Noah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> And again, uh, Noah grew up on a ranch in uh, northwest Kansas, and we took him out to sea and kind of kind of popped his little brain a little bit. So just thought we'd chat him up about it this morning. So Thanks, did you ever Noah. get boarded on, every year, on any of your deliveries? Mike? Oh, exquisitely is the best thing that can happen, you know. And again, you get <laughs> off a watch, and, and there's uh, two other guys there. You've got theoretically nothing to do for a while. On the other hand, now the toilet... No, no, not bored. Boarded. Boarded. Boarded, uh, yes, as we, in U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, yes, we have in the past. Yes, we have. And uh, we were under port arrest by the Canadian um, 
uh, what do you call them, customs guys this year over import duties, a boat we took down to Nova Scotia. Oh, Needed $57,000 before it could leave the dock. <laughs> and, uh, you know, no big deal. And uh, so, yeah, we run into them every once in a while. And, of course, we value that they're out there. There was film on the news just yesterday of uh, people being uh, helicoptered off a sailboat uh, off of North Carolina. Oh, missed that one. I saw it on the news, didn't hear why or what, but, uh, you know, there for the grace of God. Yeah, and, of course, you never get off a sailboat unless it's sinking. Um, no. So I'm not sure why they're being winched off that boat, but there they go. So anyway, that's sort of what we do when we're not doing boat talk. And, again, nice work if you can get it, delivering boats. And it's a funny game and uh, not as much fun as you'd think all the time, but you get to see some cool things and, and go some cool places. So the phone is ringing here this morning. We haven't even given out the phone number trying to protect the line for getting hold of Noah there. one 866 625-9378, and we do have somebody standing by. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Captain Yo. Captain Yo, we were hoping you would call. <laughs> well, I may have heard wrong, but when you said about a vessel which was a 300-foot-long sloop with a 53-foot centerboard and a 100-foot mast... I'm th- having a hard time picturing this is it. A, this is a 331-foot long boat. Oh, 331. With, with a 410-foot oh. mast. 410 feet. That's and, quite uh, a tall mast. Yeah, it's quite a tall mast. I, I believe it probably will go down as the tallest mast ever at this point. I believe, I think Mirabella right now has the tallest um, mass, and which is somewhat around 300 feet or so. Well, you know what they say about a mast. The shorter it is, the longer it stands. I, yes, I think that's probably fairly sound uh, um, advice anyway or statement. Yeah, it just makes a pretty amazing sloop. Thanks for volunteering and putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thanks for calling this morning, yo. Boat Talk, like we say, one 625 and we will talk about anybody that comes along, or we can, uh, you know, uh, no doubt fill time talking about boats among ourselves, because it's what we'd be doing anyway, and nobody's standing by at the present time, I don't think. Uh yeah, and the phone is ringing. So we uh, also uh, want to uh, point out a new houseboat you might be seeing down in Belfast this winter. Yeah. Yeah. Down to the... Steve uh, White. Steve White from the... Uh, Brooklyn Boatyard. Brooklyn Boatyard and, and also the Front Street Shipyard is uh, built a um, houseboat on a uh, deck which has pontoon barges underneath and a shipping containers on top. And I guess they do it differently next time without the pontoons or the shipping containers, but uh, you'll be seeing this down on the Belfast waterfront this winter, and uh, that's what that is, new houseboat Steve White. We have somebody standing by on the phone. Good morning, and welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, Gordon Bach in Camden. Gordon, how are you this morning? What's up? Doing well. <clears throat> I just wanted to tell you about something that's going on at the... Uh, Sail Power and Steam Museum in Rockland, and it's on uh, November 16th, that's a Saturday, and it's uh, just sort of a conversation between people that work on the water, or have worked on the water, 
and uh, there's uh, five of them going to be um, doing their doing their thing. Uh, we got uh, two lobstermen. Uh, one of them's a poet, Stephanie Alley, and uh, Brian Robbins. He's from Deer Isle, and he's a storyteller and singer. And Bob Bernstein, a pilot boat captain, and uh, Ray Williamson and Jim Sharp finally roped Jim into saying something. Now, the Salem Power uh, Museum is Jim Sharp's place. We've been wanting to get Jim on the radio for a while, just haven't managed it yet. <laughs> he is something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Captain Jim was uh, one of the first, uh, he brought some of the first schooners to the uh, trade in Camden a long, long time ago and, and has uh, been there and done that with more than a couple boats. Um, what you up to recently, Gordon Bach? Gordon, if uh, you don't recognize the name, for a fairly well-known uh, musician of a decidedly maritime bent quite often. Yeah, well, um, I'm doing concerts. I've pretty much finished up for the season, except for uh, one or two with a chorus. Um, but uh, plenty of still plenty of music laying around to be dealt with, and uh, I've uh, been doing a lot more wood carving recently, and uh, that's been keeping me very satisfied. What kind of things do you carve, Gordon? Well, <laughs> remember Bill Cosby said once that everything he made in shop turned out to look like an ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> well, these tend to tend to be boat scenes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, some of the uh, things I've seen that aren't around anymore, like the sardine carriers and that, that whole fishery, really, um, I seem to be doing a lot of just reminiscing in wood. Now, are we carving a, a uh, object, or are we doing like a relief uh, it, diorama? Diorama, yeah. Yeah, they're reliefs. Um, nice. Relief scenes and you know, various stories, uh, uh, they're sort of, they're, they're unwritten histories, as Alan McGee would say. How long you been learning carving? Oh, I think I, well, I, you know, I've always used tools since I was a kid, but um, back then my dad said, if you want something, you can either earn it or you can build it. And uh, so I learned how to do both. <laughs> nice. And... Uh, when my mother died, she left me her carving tools. Mother's carving tools? Yeah. Okay. That's different. My brother took the power tools, and I took the hand tool. Huh. And, uh, Too cool. Do you have a uh, way that people can view such stuff? you you know, you got to have a website, don't you, Gordon? I do, yeah. Just uh, uh, com. Are you still sailing, Gordon? I know uh, many years ago now... Um, I, I actually, we sort of missed each other. I, I've never met you. Of course, I'm familiar with you by your reputation and your singing, but I was sailing on a beautiful Alden schooner for many years called Voyager, and you oh, came yes. you came in your boat to Mattapoisett Harbor, where I, I lived in that area for years, and uh, and Peter and I, Peter the owner, we, we went ashore, and I think uh, Jeanette's brother and girlfriend were aboard the boat, and I guess you came over and visited, is mm. the way I heard. But, oh, yeah, I, I remember Voyager when she used to be in Camden. Well, Voyager is now in Rockland. I know, I saw her. And for sale. Uh -huh. Peter um, 
tragic. Well, he he died unfortunately uh, almost two years ago, most unexpectedly. He just came back. He had not long returned from a thirteen-year circumnavigation. He left in 1994 and came back in 2007. And they saw about everything, and he built a house up on uh, Dodge Mountain mm-hmm. and uh, passed away just before Christmas to everyone's consternation and surprise. But Voyager, Jeanette is still there, and Voyager is for sale, and she's in Rockland Harbor. I th- last time I was in Rockland. Yeah, um, I saw her there. She's a lovely boat. She is a lovely boat. Yeah, I sail. I don't do it for, for money anymore. <laughs> no. I haven't for many years, but uh, um, we have a... 32-foot catch, and we spend a lot of time out poking around the coast with her. Nice. It's a great place. Well, I just visited Jim Sharp's museum. Um, My wife and I went over there about a month ago for the first time, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was a great... uh, There was hardly anybody there, and Jim sort of took us under his wing and um, turned on all the little steam uh, display engines, which he runs from compressed air, and Mm -hmm. uh, we had a great time. And he... My very first visit to Maine, um, 1972, on on a little Alden schooner, and we tied up in Camden Harbor. And um, Bill, the owner of the schooner, it was a Saturday afternoon, and he said, "Oh, watch this." He said, "Look back there," and and this huge knockabout schooner came round the corner into the inner harbor, and one by one. The sails dropped, starting with the jib, staysail. Down came the foresail and the main, and she slid along. No, y'all boat not running, and uh, we were on one of those floats in the middle of the harbor, right there. And he came right up alongside his wharf, and I'd never seen anything quite like this. I saw the man at the helm, which was Jim. He casually left the helm, and he walked forward down the starboard side, reached down, picked up a boat hook, and leaned over the side and just, once again, very casually picked up a grubby-looking sort of white, dirty-looking white lobster float, pulled it up, light line, got to a heavy line, walked back, took a few turns around a big mooring bit, and he just, his boys were on the port side, ready with the dark lines, and he just snubbed her off and slowed her down, and she just sat there right alongside the dock. And it was absolutely a beautiful maneuver to see. And uh, I, I was so impressed. And, um, yeah, I, I, I met him that year, and I hadn't seen him till I saw him at the Maine Boats Homes and Harvest show last year, mm-hmm. where he was selling his book, which I bought. And I have to say to anybody out there who has not read Jim Sharp's book, uh highly highly recommended <laughs> i'm trying to think book. of the title i can't uh, the the subtitle is memoirs of a boat obsessed life yeah. and all i can say is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again he got the boats to back it up it's read an excellent pages. excellent read yeah gordon box so glad you called this morning yeah well if you i recommend that museum to anyone uh, and really i second that yes wonderful local history Tell us one more time about the get-together on November 16th and how uh, anybody could get a hold of uh, more information there, if you can. It's called Working on the Water, and it's at the Sail Power Steam Museum in the south end of Rockland, where the old uh, um, Outward Bound place used to be, right by Snow Marine Park. Yeah, And they have a website, too. You just type in Sail Power. They have a great website. What time time of day will that be, Gordon? It's 1 o'clock Saturday the 16th. All right. And it ought to be fun. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for calling this morning. Great you to hear bet. from you. Keep yeah. up the good work. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. We've got somebody else standing by at one 625 9378 and we're doing boat talk this morning. We'll talk to anybody. Good morning. Who's there? Good morning. This is Daniel. Hi. Morning, Daniel. Um, if you can have non-sequiturs on this show, here's one. Oh, we are a non-sequitur. <laughs> I've, I've been sailing my whole life, and I have to admit it was even in the, in the yachting community um, where we'd have gin and tonics at five and all that stuff. And now I have a 12-foot cat boat, and I haven't done anything to clean it up. I mean, I live in Brooklyn, you know, where, where the boats are so perfect, beautiful. And this is so much fun to sail around. When I hit a rock, I go, oops, and, uh, you know, pull up the centerboard half an inch or jump over the side and push off. I sail it up on, on islands, little Babson Island. And it is so refreshing to have a boat that is not perfect. Um, sometimes a piece of varnish will fall off the mast, which is almost black now, and, you know, and hit us while we're sailing. It's just such a relief. And uh, I don't know. It's, it, it just occurred to me because so many of the boats you see out there are perfect. Not the fishing boats. Those guys have, understand what I'm talking about completely. The uh, less boat you have, the more immediate the and greater the feedback loop, you know? Yeah. That's why I think a kayak's the ultimate butt, butt paddle boat. I mean, it's all you need, and, and your boat, not much more. And, and that's a wonderful thing, like say, to get the immediacy of the, uh, the whole boat thing. Yeah. Less being a lot more in some ways. Um, I remember a, uh, oh, what was Rebecca? She's, what, 150-something feet. Uh, she was coming out of Ca uh, Camden one time, and, and there was a beautiful woman, a brunette woman, standing on the bow, which is overhanging the waterline by, I don't know how, how you know, many hundred a feet. Long right? way. A long ways, right? She's cantilevered up there. She's holding on to the forest, and you can tell this is an expensive woman just looking at her. And, and I went, that's what that boat is for, okay? <laughs> to carry that woman in style anywhere she wants to go. And, and uh, you know, you can't afford that. And I doubt she was having as much fun as you can in your cat boat would be my other point, too, you know? Well, I'll tell you, Daniel, I, my mentor when I got into this crazy business was a Mainer, um, Everett Condon, son of one of the sons of uh, uh, Albert Condon, famous uh, fishing boat designer and builder here. But uh, Everett his one of his favorite sayings because those of us who got into the romance of boat building back in the 70s when the renaissance of wooden boats was there we we would uh, we were over enthusiastic about everything i think and and ever ever would look at me and he 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 kind of he'd spit out some of that tobacco juice on the floor and he'd say don't fall in love with it michael it's only a boat it's not a piano that was his advice yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey daniel i've uh kind of half pulled my catamaran out of the lake but i and i thought about taking it apart but i don't want to give up sailing for the winter how about you yeah i exactly some days well up until only about two weeks ago when the wind's blowing from the north a little too much taking in a reef and having fun and having the water almost come aboard is just it's great and i love it also because i'm the only one out there then and i guess i'm a show-off i like an audience yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, and again, you got to be safe while you're doing it. There is there is a safety factor there. That water's cold, and you can't go in it. Yeah, yeah. My first boat, a 22-foot little Gaffrey sloop, I sailed it three years in a row on New Year's Day. Oh, 
Is he, yeah. Yep. Daniel, we're going to let you go. We got a couple people standing by and only a minute or so to talk to them. Um, great to hear from you this morning. Thanks All for right. calling. Yeah. Good morning. Somebody else standing by there? Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, Mike, is that you? You're saying hello? Good morning. Sounds like my friend Howard. What kind of example are you setting? You got down there to do the delivery, got on it at night, left in the morning, and you didn't check the whole thing out and over. Oh, we had, uh, like say, a fairly comprehensive go-over of that boat, and so did a couple of people before us. It was not Good. that well, I'm, we... glad, I'm glad you made it back safely. Yeah. Here's a couple of uh, comments on your show today of Reckless Abandon is the title of Jim Sharp's book. Yes, yes, yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Frank you. Swift was the guy who really started the Windjammer thing in Camden and all, and uh, Ray Williamson, who will be down at the Sail Power and Steam Museum, thank you, Gordon Bach, uh, has two of the boats, uh, early Frank Swift boats, still sailing out of Camden Harbor, the Mercantile and the Grace Bailey. And uh, numbers here, I bet my number, uh, my wife's number, uh, on a blind pig auction, and got a nice little boat. It's my dream for the winter. It's my uh, Florida dream boat. And uh, just got her uh, got back Saturday. Got back Saturday and got to see the uh, uh, folk show with David Dotson Sunday night. And I got that community. And we got your radio community on the air here. You guys just do an incredible job. And I uh, want to thank you. And I'm, I'm very glad that I was able to pull off the side of the road and uh, talk to you here. And uh, we'll keep you posted on uh, this year's uh, boat dream, how that comes out. It'll be a floating apartment on the west coast of Florida, maybe the Keys. And I uh, use your uh, sun hat quite often when I'm down there. So there you go. You'll see a quick email there for you, and you'll see what I'm talking about. A new boat in your life, Howard. Uh, yeah, it's an old boat, though. And yeah. I saved it from the Knacker's Yard, and, and I do take uh, umbrance with you. Uh, there are beautiful boats in uh, Florida. This one said idle for three years. It was covered with mold and mold in the interior, lichen and everything. But when I'm done with her, she's going to be a head-turner. I've already got my first compliments on after a week. Of, I got 10 gallons of uh, uh, oysters off of the... Uh, props, drive shafts, and skakes and everything on her. And uh, none of them are edible, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> we're turning her around, buddy. Hey, it's a good thing the wife still loves you, and it's her dream, too. So there you go. There we go. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Howard. Good morning. Yeah. One more maybe in the uh, back end. No, we're running out of boat talk this morning. And, and uh, again, it passes by fairly fast and ain't that hard and and uh you know who knows what we did or or why but second tuesday of the month we show up and uh, do boat talk splish and splash not as funny as click and clack we like to say <laughs> alan will be back next month and uh like thank michael war for sitting in this morning it's good to have you i want to thank you for inviting yep. me it's great to be here yeah now we actually have to do some work for the rest of the day what a bummer huh? so. yeah it is Support for WERU.